Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. All three of the scripture readings for this weekend speak to us about prayer. Cardinal John Henry Newman once said, All life is about meeting. When we meet a good person and become their friend, your meeting with them will enrich your life. More to it, whenever you meet that person and come into contact with them, you will live a fuller life. Cardinal Newman went on to say, Prayer is that meeting or that encounter between you and God. Prayer is a dialogue between you and the Almighty God. We speak, but we also listen. When we pray, when we engage the sacraments, or when we go to Mass. If real life is about meeting, then it certainly applies to our meeting God in prayer. Now, the other thing that we have to understand, prayer is something we learn by doing it. It's not something we learn by reading a book. No, we pray and we learn to pray by doing it, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, whether we are full of life or whether we are tired. In the first reading from Sirach, we are reminded from Sirach that's easy for us to pray when the sun is shining and things are going our way versus when we are involved with life's challenges or struggles. Sirach says, The one who serves God willingly is heard. His petition reaches the heavens. The prayer of the lowly pierces the clouds. It does not resist till it reaches its goal. Now, what Sirach is referring to as the lowly and the poor, he doesn't mean those people that lack material possessions. No, not at all. Instead, what he's referring to as those that are poor in spirit those that are discouraged in their faith. More to it, those people who think that they are far from or not worthy of God's love. They feel so far away of God's mercy. They recognize this void in their life, and therefore they cry out. They pray to God in their need. Now notice also that great detail. Sirach says, Our prayers do not rest till it reaches its goal nor will it be withdrawn to the Most High response. Well, the Lord hears our cry. He hears each and every one of our prayers, and he does respond. And so, Sirach is giving us a message to reassure us in faith that every time we pray, God does listen and he does respond to our prayers. Now, we see that same theme in the Gospel. We hear God's response to prayer. Jesus is teaching his apostles once again about prayer. Remember last week, Jesus began to teach his apostles about prayer in the parable of the persistent widow, how she continues to persist after the judge to render a right verdict, and after a while, he does. 
Well, Jesus taught the apostles last week and us. We must be persistent and constant in our prayer. If we pray and our prayer isn't answered, well, we shouldn't give up. We should continue on and on and on until our prayer is answered. We must be always persistent. Never give up. Well, today Jesus is teaching the apostles and us the proper attitude in prayer through this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, in this parable, it will reveal what kind of prayer penetrates the heavens and reaches God. And God responds to it. And what prayer does not reach God, and God does not respond to it. Now, notice the first thing, the postures of these two men. The two men, yes, they go into the temple, which is very good. The temple, as Jews thought, was the place where God existed. So good, they're going to God. Now, the Pharisee stands right in the middle of the temple so that everyone can see him. He stands with his head held up in the air as smug and arrogant, as if the temple belongs to him. The tax collector does just the opposite. He stands, it says, at a far-off distance so that nobody notices him. His head is bowed down as if he's not worthy to be in this holy place or even worthy to pray to God. Next, we hear their prayers. First, the Pharisee. It says, The Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. O God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, and adulterous, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes on my whole income. The first thing that we can take from this is that it's as if the Pharisee isn't praying to God, but he's praying to himself. Worse yet, he's not really praying. Instead, he's reviewing for himself the list of his virtues, assuming that when God notices them, God will be impressed by this Pharisee. Notice also this Pharisee, he catalogs his virtues as a means of sending himself off or apart from the tax collector who hasn't maybe lived a virtuous life himself. Essentially, this Pharisee is boasting how much better he is than this tax collector. What is this Pharisee really doing? Well, he's using religion as a weapon. Now, St. Paul, if you read many of his letters and epistles, Paul was very attuned to this, this moral superiority that people recognized and played. This must have been very prevalent during this time, if Paul addressed it in his letters. Now, the law of God is a double-edged sword, you could say. The law of God is good. It helps us to be in right relationship with God. But Paul believed and saw firsthand that some people could use the law as a means of boasting of themselves and or looking down upon others. I'll give you a great example. A person could say, the more I know the law, the more I can boast how I practice it. And worse yet, I can point out how others are deficient in how they practice the law. Well, it creates a sense of moral superiority over others. Use the knowledge of the law to pass judgment over others. And see, that's what the Pharisee is doing to this tax collector. The point here is we have laws in our church, and they're meant to draw all people to God together. They're not meant to separate or divide us all. The laws of our church are used to foster unity as well as a right relationship with God. This Pharisee's prayer 
becomes one of self-love and boasting, and God doesn't respond to it. Now, turn to the tax collector. Now remember, tax collectors were considered traitors, collaborators with the Romans. When the tax collectors collected the taxes, half of the tax immediately went to Rome, as to Caesar, as tribute. The other half stayed and went to the soldiers that were occupying the Israelites. Worse yet, the tax collectors skimmed off the top of the taxes they collected in order to pay their own salaries. And so, tax collectors were not liked at all by the Israelites. Now, it's interesting. Here we live in the 21st century. Even to this day, tax collectors are not very popular with us. And so, some things never change. But nonetheless, I digress. Look at the contrast of the tax collector's prayer versus the Pharisee. He enters into the temple. He stood at a distance. He doesn't want anyone to see him because he's ashamed at what he's done. He wouldn't raise his head. He's very humble. Then it says he beats his chest as a sign of repentance and then prays, O God, be merciful to me a sinner. These are all signs of humility. Just take that simple prayer that he prays, O God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. Here the tax collector recognizes his sin, and he finds himself void of God in his life. Therefore, in his humility, God responds to his prayer. God's love and his mercy will now occupy his emptiness. And that's critical. The tax collector's prayer pierced the heavens and reached God. And God responded by answering his prayer and giving him his love and his mercy. That's why Jesus says, I tell you, the latter went home justified, but not the former. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And see, the parable teaches us the fundamental attitude of Christian discipleship. Yes, we must recognize our sinfulness, but we also recognize that we need the presence of God in our life, each and every day of our life. And we have the complete trust that God does listen and responds with great mercy and love to our prayers. Great example of this, turn to the second reading from St. Paul. Paul writes, I'm already being poured out like a libation, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've competed well, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Well, Paul knows the end of his life is near. He's awaiting his own execution. It's going to be maybe just a few days or just a few hours. Now, it's interesting, at the end of Paul's life, all of his friends and followers have deserted him. Similar to Jesus in the garden, Once Jesus is arrested, all of his apostles leave him. Notice what Paul says next. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength. Paul realizes his strength comes from the Lord, who hasn't nor ever will abandon him or us. Paul continues, The Lord will rescue me from every evil threat and will bring me safe to his heavenly kingdom. St. Paul, like the tax collector, in humility, he prays. He prays and he calls for God's mercy. Paul believes with faith that God hears his prayer 
and he will be received with great mercy from God. And see, all three of the scripture readings for this weekend teach us about prayer and how it nurtures our relationship with God. The way in which we pray reveals our relationship with God. So we must follow the examples given to us by Sirach, by St. Paul, by the tax collector in the gospel. We have to recognize the need for God in our life and then pray with humility. Pray always with faith that our prayer pierces the heavens and reaches God. And we believe with faith that God responds and answers our prayer and grants us his mercy, his love, and his presence in our life, now and always. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.